Welcome to the Holy Soup Podcast, where the church's status quo and sacred cows get rounded up, simmered down, and dished out. And now, here's your chief cook, author, innovator, filmmaker, and founder of Group Publishing, Tom Schultz. Welcome to Holy Soup. You know, here we like to keep track of what's actually happening in churches today and take a look at what the current trends are and what those trends are telling us about the health of the church in America. And uh, we take stock every year also at Group's Future of the Church Summit. And one of the resource people at this year's summit is Kent Hunter. You may know him as the church doctor. In fact, he's the founder of Church Doctor Ministries, which has consulted with hundreds of churches and scores of denominations around the country and outside the country. So welcome, Kent. Thank you. It's great to be with you. Great to have you here. As you work with churches throughout America, what's... uh, What's the most frequent reason that churches call you in for consultation? I would call it biblical drift. Um, it, it's not a common answer. More, most people look at programs or activities. But I think overall, we're seeing that drift from the New Testament model in various areas, just in our secular nation and, and the challenges that churches face, uh, there's a, there's often a, a, a drift from some of the basics of a biblical New Testament mission. And being on a mission field, you really can't afford to drift very far or the ineffectiveness starts to creep in. Now, that drift, is that something that they recognize and they call you in to help them get back on track? Or is that something that you find once you get in there and, and you identify, well, that's your problem? It's usually the latter. We find it. Uh, people aren't really thinking about that. And we use that as a lens to help them toward the more programmatic recommendations that we make. But it's usually some programmatic issue that uh, drives the invitation. Mm. Uh, right now, it's a lot of pastors that are retiring. Churches uh, looking for another pastor, shortage of pastors, and uh, issues like that as well as just the general decline and aging of so many churches. Mm. Well, in the American church, um, there has been so much change by my observation in the past uh, 10 years, especially. Uh, From your perspective, what is the biggest shift that you've noticed in the past 10 years? Well, even more recently than the last 10 years, our research is showing in the last year two very interesting things that we've been praying for for a long time. Uh, The first being more receptivity among church people saying, we can't go on this way. There's finally this wake-up call, uh, what the missiologists would call an awakening, uh, this wake-up call that's happening. And we, I prayed for this for years, and it's, it's almost somewhere around, it's hard to pinpoint, but somewhere around a year ago, the receptivity of churches saying, we can't do this ourselves, we want help, we want to look elsewhere, we want to learn more. Somehow there's a threshold of decline that has gotten people's attention, finally. I mean, it's been there for a long, this has been a trend for a long time, but, but I think we're at a point now where, on the one hand, people in churches, not everybody, but a, a critical mass to say, we need some help and, and we want to look for that help. The second trend is parallel, which is just to me a God thing. 
And that is, we've done a lot of research among unchurched people, and we encourage people to do research among their unchurched friends in their social network, asking some questions, like we like to ask the question, what do you think it's gonna be like for your grandchildren? And it, it's really not a sociological question or a, a family question, it's a question of their attitude. And what we're discovering is that many, many unchurched people are very hopeless about the future. If you give a scale from one to 10 about their present attitude, about how things are, and then you ask them the same scale about their grandchildren, or if they're older, their great-grandchildren, just projecting out 15 years or so, and it's just incredible how much lower it is. And if you don't say anything, they'll start talking about some of the symptoms of our society and fears they have about where we're going as a country and, and things like that. And so uh, that is really good for church people to know because most people don't think there's been any change, but we see a massive change in receptivity. So there's a huge issue around hope in our perception based on our research. Hmm. Well, back to your, your first trend that you cited, that uh, you're sensing that people uh, within congregations now are sensing that uh, we have to do something. We can't, we can't keep doing what we're doing. Is that a matter of what people who, who have really studied change, they'll often say that uh, change only comes after pain reaches the threshold where uh, the pain to remain doing the same is greater than the pain of, of change. Is that what we're dealing with now, that the pain has gotten so great with church decline and everything else that's going on, that that's causing people to want to address some of these issues? I think so, but I think that uh, pastors and church leaders need to realize that it's not everybody in the church. It's never everybody in the church at first. It's just like the old uh, teaching about early adopters and and middle adopters and late adopters and never adopters. And what we've discovered is that uh, in our research, we've developed this name, holy discontent, that there are those people in churches, and we first discovered them starting in 2008. So this has been a while, but it's growing. The, the percentage is growing in churches. So God's doing something with Christians as well, where they are, uh, we call it holy discontent to differentiate it from those people there's always some people in every church that have unholy discontent. Those are people that are constantly complaining about everything. Yeah. In our one-on-one -on -one interviews, when we consult a church, in these one-on-one -on -one interviews, in 2008, our consultants started identifying a new development with people that would say things like, now this is a confidential interview, right? We said, yes, that's right. We, we already put that in writing to you, but Yes, I'll affirm that. Then they'll say, well, we don't want anybody to, what I want to say, I don't want anybody to think that, that, that I'm one of those complainers. But honestly, we haven't talked to anybody, but my wife and I at home, we just are so upset. And then they go on to say, our pastor preaches such good sermons. Uh, we have great Bible studies. Our church facility is great. There are great people here. We've got some great ministries going on. I just don't see why our church isn't exploding with new people. So their discontent is wholly discontent. Well, these, we think, are the early adopters. And we've developed some research instruments to identify those people 
questionnaires that they will fill out and uh, when, when and then we can score who these people are and preachers including myself when I pastored a church always felt that if we want to change I needed to preach about that to everybody in church but in truth when God's bringing an awakening a new movement he always starts with some people and so you never know exactly who is going to come up with this? But we can research that, find those people, and those are the people to start the movement. Not like they're a special group or better than anybody else. We have to be careful about that. But these are people who are early adopters to look at the renewal of the church in strategic ways to reach the new reality of living on a mission field. Mm -hmm. So our goal is to find those people and train them equip them to be missionaries to their own social networks. Hmm. You know, the, the American church is really facing a generational challenge. The younger generations are staying away from the institutional church like never before. And the older generations who are largely funding the churches, they're dying. Uh, what does this mean for churches in the next 20 years? And what are churches doing about this generational trend? Well, this is huge, and uh, it, it's a challenge for sure. And I know that some churches are adapting in terms of worship style and other programmatic issues, and that's good to, because every generation speaks its own kind of language, and, and the electronic changes, uh, you know, young people are not going to come into a church if they don't see some electronic gadgets around that show that the church is contemporary to them. And so, but to, to, to get those young people in the church is a huge challenge. So several years ago, about seven years ago, one of the things that we learned, we, we take a group every year to England because England is a country uh, in culture, somewhat more like ours than say somewhere in Africa, but there are a couple hundred churches, maybe 250 that are going through a revival and growing like crazy and wall to wall young people. And what we learned from them is one of the things that they do there, and we started here as a ministry, is training young adults, uh, 18 to 26, that are faithful, available, that is, they aren't married in, in, in college or have a job or a mortgage or whatever, but available, faithful, available, and teachable. So those young adults, what we do, and, and we just... We just were trained in this over in England by a church that does this. So we started what's called Send North America, a 10-month boot camp of challenge, learning, hands-on mission, basically to become a missionary to America. And getting around to the actual issue about the local church, these young people, once they graduate, they are snapped up by churches because who's the best person to reach a young adult? Well, it's another young adult right. plus a young adult that's been trained to be a missionary. So we think that if we can train enough of these young adults and they can be seated into congregations, but they're trained to do a ministry to, to, to shut-ins, to, to, you know, to all ranges of people, children, youth, but they also can work and, and reach out to homeless people. They, they do homeless ministry, jail ministry, they have all these experiences, plus they have 50 volunteer teachers that teach in various areas of what I learned in mission school at Fuller Seminary. That, that's what got me started. And so we have 
adapted that material that I learned that helped my churches as a pastor to these young people at their level and training them so that they are literally missionaries to America, but primarily their, their real strength and value to the local church is that they can reach people their own age hmm. better than people my age for sure. Hmm. And, and when they come, when they get done, they're just on fire. Wow. Those young people are like an infusion of young blood, hmm. which really inspires the older people in that church as well. Yeah. Uh, that's really interesting. Well, to uh, wrap up here, you are the church doctor. You go in and diagnose the health or lack thereof of a congregation, and then you make recommendations. But ultimately, it's the church's leaders and members that must take the steps necessary to become healthy. And I'm sure sometimes that's got to be frustrating for you to watch what happens after you've submitted uh, your work to these churches. And over all these years, what's been your main frustration in dealing with churches as you've tried to help them grow and change? My main frustration would be that the leadership sometimes moves on, dies, uh, pastors move, and, and they lose some of the momentum that they could have had through the follow-up process to our recommendations. But one of the things that we do to, to help try to make this a good follow-through procedure, because our goal isn't to do another consultation. Our goal is to see that church change. And so we, we only work with churches that uh, commit to us in writing that they will look at the recommendations they, we don't expect them to do everything we recommend. We're not right about everything. We're not perfect, but we do all the work we can, give them recommendations, and then within uh, eight months, they need to send us an action plan for each one of those recommendations. It's only one or two pages, and it's just a bare-bones skeletal action plan. We go through those action plans, review them, and give them a score, a, a value score on how they did. Usually they do pretty well. So that part works well. Then they have a timetable connected to these, so that's good. And they have some measure, they have to have measurable goals. And, and so all of that is there. And then we check up with them every six months by phone and, and see how they're doing. Well, thank you, Kent. We're sure looking forward to uh, hearing more from you and your associate, Tracy Swank, who will also be at uh, the Future of the Church in October. And uh, looking forward to good times there and, and learning more. And listeners can learn more about uh, that event, The Future of the Church, at this website. The address is simply thefutureofthechurch.com, thefutureofthechurch.com. And uh, we'd love to have everybody out there join us in uh, Colorado in October for that. And if people would like to learn more about Church Doctor Ministries, where can they look, Kent? Churchdoctor.org. Churchdoctor.org. Yeah, that's the place. Okay, we'll uh, send them there and, and look for more good help and appreciate all that you do. Well, likewise for you, I'm just thrilled and, and we're really looking forward uh, to the event for the Future of the Church Summit. It's, it's really exciting for us to be able it, to be there. It'll be fun. Well, we'll see you soon and we'll see all of you next time on the Holy Soup Podcast. <laughs>